Pastor Xavier Reese on the simple truths of growth potential. M. Grenard mentions a plant that germinated in the bottom of a mine and raised itself to the height of 120 feet in order to reach the light. Though the usual height of that plant is only six inches, problems and difficulties will cause you and I to turn to Jesus the light that we might grow healthy. You understand? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Any doctor will tell you what's visible on the outside does not necessarily indicate what's happening on the inside. Well, I guess the same can be said of the church. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his examination of the book of Acts, he also does some exploratory surgery and determines what it means to be spiritually fit. Here he is with today's lesson, Marks of a Healthy Church. Let's listen. One of the most exciting things in life is to experience and be part of a church that is alive and growing in both numbers and maturity. Growth in numbers alone does not mean a church is healthy, necessarily. Spiritually, it could be incorrect in the Bible instruction. Please get away from numbers. Numbers do not impress me. In fact, numbers can be a burden if they're dead weight. You understand? So just like a physical body experiences growing pains. Remember kids, 13 to 16, Goonie Bird stage? Their bodies grow faster and they can coordinate and their bones hurt. Well, that happens in churches too. And so, it is a process for growth and development to be healthy. Towards the maturity in Christ Jesus. And all the problems that come into the church are really God's opportunities to use godly men and women through His Word and His Spirit to demonstrate what He and He alone can do. You understand? The church is not an organization. We've gone through the whole church growth, the marketing, the whole thing. Nothing of that is permanent. It's very transitional. Only what God does will last. And so, in this case here in our text... We have before us the church began to grow, providing us with three marks of a healthy church. Let me read here. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint amongst the Hebrews by the Hellenists that the Hebrews, because their widows, were um, being neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren... Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and, and um, Prochorus, and Nechnor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. The church began to grow. And thank God for the book of Acts, because this is so important. Here we have... 
three marks provided for us of a healthy church. They are as follows. First, the problem of growth, verse 1. That's the first mark, the problem of growth. Secondly, verse 2 through 4, the proper oversight. And then thirdly, in verse 5 through 8, the pleasing result. The problem of growth. The church was growing at an alarming rate, as we can see. Notice the context in those days when the number of disciples were being multiplied. The disciples were those, as you know, who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, the term disciple means a pupil, a learner. It's the first time it appears in the book of Acts. And the disciples were those members of the church, those born again, those who had left Judaism and come into Christianity. Now, they were all present there. This word appears 268 times, disciples. In the New Testament, 30 times in the book of Acts, there were students, pupils of Jesus Christ, not of men. Notice the condition of the church was one of growth. This is the backdrop. The word multiplying means to increase in number. The verb form will appear once again, telling us that the number of disciples multiplied in verse 7. The noun form appears two times in verse 2 and 5. Both forms appear 22 times in the book of Acts. Why? Listen, the book of Acts is the record of how Jesus adds to the church daily such as should be saved. We've seen this in chapter 2. He's the one that does it. The problem is that we start being very creative. We follow the newest trends and we start attracting people. And, and, and they're being attracted by something apart from the gospel. And now I've got to deal with people that are unbelievers, people that are carnal, people that are here for the wrong motives. And they create more problems for the church of Jesus Christ. It becomes my church. You understand? The evidence and pattern has been already recorded. 3,000 at Pentecost. In Acts 2.41, 5,000 the healing of the lame man in chapter 4, verse 4. And after the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, it says this. The believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multiplied both men and women. 5.14. The apostles' consistent activity of those days is stated for us at the end of chapter 5, verse 42. Daily in the temple and every house they did not cease. Teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. There's your key. You want a method? There it is. Stick to that. And you will get to your destination. You understand? Notice the church, due to its growth, was experiencing a difficult state. There were two classes of Jews in the church. They're given to us here. Hebrews were the natives of Israel. Who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And they were embracing the Hebrew culture. They were kosher. Then you have the Hellenists who were born outside of Israel in the Roman provinces, the diaspora, and they were, they spoke Greek and they were seeked in Greek culture. You understand? And there's a big difference. I, I came from Mexico City. And in three, four more generations, if, if I can, you compare my generations to the one who came in first generation, there's a big difference. I've been so infiltrated by the American culture and everything else that now I don't even probably speak English or Spanish. I speak Spanglish. And, you know, and, and, and the Mexican who came in the first generation, he would look down on me because, after all, I betrayed my... You understand? The Hellenists were accusing the Hebrews and neglecting the Hellenist widows. Notice the way it was manifested. The word complaint. The word means to mutter, to grumble, to low tone, indicating a secret or private displeasure till heard. You know that. You're a parent. You tell your child, and they go, what would you say? Nothing. You know. 
And, and the word here is used in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation, for the murmuring of the children of Israel against Moses in Exodus 16.7 and Numbers 14.27. Bible says, do all things without complaining and disputing, Philippians 2.14. Listen, people, we are bad news. I don't know why they do this. I don't know what they're doing. Don't murmur. Murmuring just makes problems worse. You see something wrong? Say, hey, can I fix that? Or how can we fix that? Observing is not enough. You understand? Notice the neglect regarding the daily distribution for the widows. The meaning of the verb neglect is to look beyond or to overlook. Uh, the imperfect tense means that it was going on for some time. But there's no indication that it was deliberate. Uh, it's found only one time here in our text, in the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament was very concerned about widows and orphans. You know that in Exodus 22, 22, Deuteronomy 10, 18. And God says that he watches over the widows and, and the fatherless. And he warns that you don't treat them wrong or neglect them. That was a theocracy. Now we're bringing it over to the church. There's still a responsibility. Not the same as before, but there's a different responsibility still. And we'll look at those. Now, there had been intimidating opposition by the religious rulers. Threw them in jail. Told them not to preach the name of Jesus. They rejoiced that they had suffered. They were worthy to suffer, Right? There was opposition internally from the corruption of Ananias and Sapphira. Now there's opposition from women by murmuring to disrupt the work of God. These three things were necessary and are natural in the church to grow and mature work through them. But if we, we respond in the flesh, they become obstacles to the work that God wants to do, ladies and gentlemen. Two collections were made every Friday morning. One at the market, the other ones at homes. They met temporary and permanent needs comprising of 14 meals a week, two per week. There were two funds, one called a kupa, meaning basket for the needs, and the other tambui, meaning tray for emergencies. We've already seen that lovingly they sold as the need was. God never commanded it. It was sincere, it was loving, but it was a wrong decision because the church of Jerusalem became poverty stricken. And I've told you, it's best for you to be stewards so you can help people than to give everything away and then somebody has to take care of you. You understand? I don't know where some Christians get the mentality that everybody has to be poor. No. Don't live for money. Beware of the dangers of money. But you live in this world and it's better to help somebody than somebody help you, right? Emma Grenard mentions a plant that germinated in a the bottom of a mine and raise itself to the height of 120 feet in order to reach the light. Though the, uh, the usual height of that plant is only six inches. <laughs> Problems and difficulties will cause you and I to turn to Jesus the light that we might grow healthy. You understand? But if all you do is murmur and complain, and why me? Let me ask you a better question. Why not you? Does God owe you something? Does God owe me something? The problem that comes to a growing church are many, and they need to be welcomed. A church that grows will bring many new experiences, and yet it's so easy to just be carnal and complain. I need to see things through the eyes of God, through the scriptures. As a church grows, it has to be flexible. To meet those new challenges. To see how God's going to work. The best way to cure murmuring is this. You ready? Be a participant of the church, not a spectator. Roll up your sleeves. The common belief that the church should feed and clothe everybody is not biblical. Be careful of that. We should not exclude the poor. 
but we should not cater to the poor either. James puts it this way, James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans, the widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Very clear. We as individuals should meet the needs that the Lord brings us personally, and not merely pass them off to the church. This is very important. This is part of your maturity. First John puts it this way, but whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? First John 3.17. In other words, if God brings a person to you, you see a need, don't call the church, you meet it. I've had people live with me, I've had, I mean, are you just a taker or are you a giver? Do you understand? The thing is, we don't want things to cost us. That's the problem, that's our flesh, you understand? Now, you're not to give from what you don't have. You're to give from what you do have. You understand? But we must make very sure that we do not think of the church primarily as a social welfare organization, but rather as a dispenser of the gospel to lost men to have their sins forgiven and be one with Jesus Christ. You understand? The gospel is the forefront. We will come alongside and help what we can, but that's not our hook. Too many churches and organizations have started right with the gospel, then they swapped around, and they, they became social institutions, and the gospel is dropped. No, the gospel goes forward. Second Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13, Paul says, For even when we were with you, we commanded this to you. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but as busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness, eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in well-doing. He hits both sides. Some of you guys are lazy slugs. You need to shut up, get a job, and eat your own bread. And those of you who see this bad example, don't get hard-hearted. Be open. There's legitimate needs. In fact, the epistles to Timothy, Paul writes, and he gives them instructions about the widows. And he makes the distinction between widows who are widows and widows who are indeed widows. Those who have family members are to care for those widows. So the church can care for those who are really widows indeed, who have no family members. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, 5, 3 through 16. And there, we're not going to be sidetracked, but he gives qualifications. Not everybody was helped. Has had a good report, been a woman of one husband, raised children, you know, washed the saints' feet. There's a lot of qualifications. Today we think the church to help anybody, no matter what. No. And people walk in with that attitude. We need to think biblically. Always be compassionate. Always be sensitive. But let's think biblically, you understand? The problem of growth is a mark of a healthy church. Absolutely. I notice, secondly, you have the proper oversight. Two through four. In two, the twelve directed themselves to the multitude of disciples. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, The twelve were present, listen, among the people. Shepherds and elders and leaders who are not among the people are not servants. We, everybody on staff, comes from among you, are one of you, and we serve you. We should be the greatest servants here. We have no excuse, you understand? The disciples as we noted in verse 1, were those who had accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Not only the apostles, but those disciples who were coming to the church now. Those who were pupils, learners, having repented of their sins. The gospel tells us of the twelve that began as disciples became apostles. The gospel tells us of seventy that were sent out two by two. So 
there's different types, the different times that are named, but it simply means a student, a pupil. Now, notice still in verse 2, the 12 denounce the abandoning of the word to serve tables. It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The 12 did not allow the pressure and emotions of the moment to divert them from their priorities. Very important. The problem with today is people make decisions on emotions rather than on the importance and the priority of things. You understand? The whole society is being indoctrinated on emotional decisions from our courts to our juries because we can't make judgments about nothing. We make decisions based on emotions. The people were not rebuked, notice. But the apostles understood people's short-sightedness. They could worsen the problem if they gave in to them. The people saw only the, their physical needs. They're hungry. They saw injustice, unfairness from their perspective. It wasn't, but they said that in people in church. If you're carnal, self-centered, you're going to look at things from your perspective. Because you love you more than anybody else. And if I don't walk in the Spirit, I will do the same thing. The people could not see the further problems that would come from it if the apostles gave in to their petition. Jealousies, envies would increase without the word of God. An innocent neglect was interpreted as partiality. And without the word it would worsen. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, your solution to your problems and mine is the word of God. If you come to church consistently, your problems will be dealt with from the pulpit and as you spend time in the Word. But if you don't spend time in the Word, you'll keep making the same mistakes and adding to your own hurt. The twelve alone, notice, allowed their spiritual maturity to make the right decision at this point. The apostles knew they could no longer be over the distribution. The word desirable means agreeable or fit. That which is appropriate or proper or pleasing. In fact, Jesus uses the word in John 8, 29. I do always those things that please the Father. Herod, who left Peter in jail after killing James, said he did it because it pleased the Jews in Acts 12, 3. Same word. Notice the apostles did not refuse to distribute the needs out of pride or their position or authority, but out of wisdom. They would not leave to leave behind, the word means to forsake. In fact, the same word is used in Mark 10, 7 for a man leaving his father and mother to be joined to his wife. Same word. To forsake. When you got married, you forsook your parents. Doesn't mean you abandoned them, but it means they had no authority over you, right? So the word of God has authority over their life first and foremost, not people. Simple principles. They were being obedient in their call to the Great Commission, to disciple, to teach. For all people deserve all the things that Jesus commanded, Matthew 28, 19-20. You have to know what God has called you to do, and that's to be his disciple. The apostles knew it would be wrong for them to leave the word of God to serve tables. In view of the great number of people needing the word. Look at the word serve, diaconia. It means an attendant to wait. We get our word deacon, minister. Serve. Ask what a pastor is. One who serves tables. Uh, Jesus used the word for himself. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to serve and give his ransom, life a ransom for many. Same word. Now, look at verse 3. The twelve delegated the serving of tables to those who were qualified. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, which we may appoint over this business. The conclusion of the matter was that ministry would be passed on down to others who are born again believers. Real simple, delegation. The word therefore means in accordance or consequently of the fact that there were too many people coming to Christ. What a joy. In view of this, they needed to be taught the word of God. Brethren, he calls them, Adelphus of the same womb. Born by the word of God, the spirit of God, into the family of God. This is the first of 34 times it appears in the book of Acts. Notice the brethren were to select out among themselves seven men. We should never think of the church, be careful of this, as a democracy. It is spirit-directed through spirit-filled men. Very important. Because a lot of the church today is run like a democracy. Let's all vote. We're not here to vote. We're here to follow Jesus. We've got our marching orders of the word of God. Everything else, he'll work out. You understand? You've got the air of democracy in the church, and you've got the air of dictatorship in the church. But the word of God is the safety for all of us. Our parameters, they apply both from the pulpit to the pew. You understand, ladies and gentlemen? Very, very clear. The protection is built in. And they were to seek. It means to look upon, to inspect, and examine with the eye. We're to be wise. We don't just put anybody over ministry. Similar qualifications were given when God wanted men to help Moses through the counsel of Jethro, his father-in-law, in Exodus 18, 70-23. You can jot that as a note. The qualifications, New Testament, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 for bishops and elders, and 8-13 for deacons. In summary, here's your qualifications, ladies and gentlemen. Your home. Your home. Not my degrees. Not the size of church I have. Not how good looking I am. Fat chance of that. Um, Or anything else. My home. My life. Notice the brethren were to seek out men then. Who met a certain standard. Men of good reputation. The phrase is one word in the Greek. Marturo. To be a witness. We get our word martyr from it. Those who testify Borok record of their Christian character. Listen, listen, character is who you really are when no one's around. Reputation is what people look and think you are. Now, if your reputation is based on character, you've got a good reputation. But if your reputation is based on a false character, then you're deceiving yourself. Men full of the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. This is not just fill opposed to empty, but under the control of. They have control over their flesh, their sin nature. They walk in the Spirit. They're being filled continually as a lifestyle, Ephesians 5.18. We all need the baptism. We all need to be filled. If I don't walk in the Spirit, listen, listen, I will walk in the flesh. I have no choice. Men full of wisdom. The adjective full applies also to the wisdom here. Sophia. A broad and full intelligence used in a proper way to arrive at the best solution. It is used throughout Acts. Knowledge is facts. But if you don't understand the facts, or you make the wrong choice or understand the facts, you will make wrong application, right? And rather than being wisdom, it's foolishness. But understanding the knowledge, taking them in, assimilating, understanding them, and then you accommodate them to make that right decision. That's wisdom. And this is spiritual wisdom. Make sure you know that. 
that will certainly enhance human wisdom but is never to be confused with it. This is wisdom from above. Wisdom from the Lord, from the scriptures. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. Pastor Xavier Reese and the incredible value of eternal spiritual wisdom. And there's still much more to come next time. Now, if you can't tune in, though, you can do the next best thing by picking up a copy of this message on CD for just $4. And the title to ask for is Marks of a Healthy Church. And make sure you share these truths with your family and friends as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Marks of a Healthy Church, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What makes a healthy church? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 